The following audio is from Story City Church in Burbank, California. Thank you for listening. For more information on Story City, you can find us online at storycitychurch.com or on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Story City. Morning, church. Uh, please stand with me for the reading of 1 Corinthians 11, 23 through 32. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper and said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So then, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sin against the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself. In this way, let him eat the bread and drink from the cup. For whoever eats and drinks without recognizing the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. This is why many are sick and ill among you, and many have fallen asleep. If we were properly judging ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned with the world. This is the word of the Lord. Right. Good morning, everybody. How are we doing? All right, there we go. Yeah, we're awake. And also, hey, kudos to you guys. You made it to the week after Easter. You know, Easter's always the big boom in churches. And then, uh, and then it's like, whoo, got the fill. And it's always that hard pull. So congratulations. I don't know if there's extra jewels in the crowns in heaven or not. But if I was allowed to reward some, I'd give some to you for being here this morning. Well done, good and faithful servants of the Lord. Uh, I, it's crazy. I, I'm, uh, it's crazy today. Today marks for me one year since becoming on staff. That's crazy to me. And, uh, and I love, I love this church. I love everything that I've been able to be, come, become a part of. I hope you guys, ha- uh, whether you've been here for a long time or maybe this is your first time this morning, I hope you grow in your love and appreciation for our church. And I want to make sure that I'm clear. It's not just our church and like the things that are written on the walls or the things that we would say are, are, are just how the church runs or operates. But I mean the body of Christ, the people that sit in these seats and how people live out the, the call and the things that we'd say, these are what we stand for and this is what matters in the local church and for our neighborhoods and communities. Because I 
love that, that we at Story City say things like, your story matters. That we recognize that our story matters. That our story is God's story. And I love that it's not something that's just written on a wall or people say in staff meetings. I love that the church lives this out. That you live this out and people share their stories. And this is a space that God is spoken in community and in relationship. I love what you as the body do together. It's why Sundays are so incredible, not just because we have fantastic worship or that there's just a, that we pursue excellence in our worship gatherings, because we have very special community, a very special body. You are special, and I've seen you love the community, and it is something that I'm thankful to be a part of, and I hope that you can grow in that thankfulness and love and appreciation for your fellow brothers and sisters. It is an incredible morning to sit as a community before the word of God and to worship our king, but more important, the person that we would call our heavenly father. Amen? Amen. I don't know where you where you've been this last week or where you find yourself this morning. And I don't know if last night was a hard night's sleep. I don't know if you're carrying stress in from this past week and, and work or relationships or whatever. I don't know the state in which you find yourself coming faithfully into, into these doors this morning. But if you haven't heard this yet, I want you to know that you are deeply loved You are deeply seen, and God knows you, and he loves you, and there's a community that loves you. I want you to know how how important you are to God. Whatever has happened this last week, whatever you're carrying in today, no one is too bad or mad or far from God to matter to him. You are loved. Uh, in, in, that, in the spirit of that, and because I know that you guys are such <clears throat> a faithful community of believers, would you do me a favor, and would you just turn to the person next to you and just tell them your story is welcome here? Other side, don't forget them. Yeah, I love it. I love it. It's like, it's like one of the nuances that some people forget. Oh, Justin is teaching. That means that I'm going to have to participate. He's going to make me say something to the person next to me. It's like too many years of being a youth pastor, you know what I mean? Like you just got to engage, you got to get those junior hires talking to one another. Uh, and in most cases, then you have to tell them to stop talking to each other. Uh, we're, seri- we're in a series right now called Aligning with God, God's Heart 4. And, and as we go, as we're going through the series, we're going through the book of 1 Corinthians. We're going through the book of 1 Corinthians because uh, this is a book, <clears throat> excuse me, is a book where a letter that Paul wrote to the church of Corinth in a church that was struggling and wrestling. Their hearts were trying to be moved in the right place. They wanted God. They wanted to pursue him, but they were wrestling with a lot of baggage, and they were a diverse community trying to figure this out. And so Paul writes them a letter to say, hey, this is how you can stay on course. There's parts of the letter that are encouragement. Corinth, you're getting it right. You're doing this right. But more often than not, Paul's writing them a letter to say, hey, let's get you back on track. And, and maybe that's even a polite way to put it because Paul's pretty straightforward and harsh in some ways of, guys, you need to get on track here. You're missing it. 
And it's so important for us, not just because we call it the word of God to go through, but for us as a church community and a body of believers to go through this and figure out how do we align our hearts with God's heart for a myriad of different subjects and topics. That's where we find ourselves as we go through 1 Corinthians, aligning our heart for, aligning our heart, God's heart for. So this morning, go ahead and open up your Bibles. We're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And as you are, thank you, wow, what a wonderful wife, bring me some water. That's why I married her. Uh, as you guys are opening up 1 Corinthians chapter 11, I, I, I want to just lay a foundation for us as we come before, before the word. If, you're, if you don't remember anything else that I say, if you don't remember anything else from this morning, and if you're, if you're a note taker, this is the first thing you're going to want to write down. If you're not a note taker, this is the only thing I want you to write down. And I want you to remember this. Communion is our participation in redemption. Communion is our participation in redemption. See, as we dive into the word and as we uh, pull out God's word this morning, we first have to be comfortable with a level of mystery here. I want you to think, like, as, we, as you know that we're headed towards communion, as we read the scripture prior to coming up, uh, as you know we're headed to, to, to uh, communion, I want you to put on a, a filter and a level of comfortableness uh, that is... Uh, okay with a mystery. Uh, as much as you're okay with the mystery of the incarnation, the incarnation being God becoming man, uh, while still maintaining the full nature of God and yet the full nature of man, something that we, we know is true, we profess is true, uh, and yet we go, how does that actually work? That's one of those God things that only God knows. In the same way that we can accept that mystery... I want you to have this morning a filter and a heart of acceptance of mystery inside of the elements, inside of the participation and practice that we call communion. And so let's go ahead and I'm going to read verses 17 through 22 in 1 Corinthians 11. Um, I also want to say, in case you're keeping track and you're, and, you're, and you're taking notes, you're like, hey, where are we hitting? What are we going to be talking about? The portion right before communion talks about head coverings for women in church. We're not skipping the hard stuff. I'm looking forward to in a couple of weeks uh, as, we, as we get to uh, acknowledge women's roles in ministry and inside of the church. This is a, that's a section that we're going to be coming back to. So this isn't something that we're skipping so much as preserving for a thorough conversation in a couple of weeks. And so this morning we find ourselves in verse 17 of chapter 11. And, and this is how it starts out. Now, in giving this instruction, I do not praise you. Paul coming out swinging. I don't praise you, Church of Corinth, for, your part to, for the instruction of coming before communion. Since you come together, not for the better, but for the worse. For to begin with, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you, and in part I believe it. Indeed, it is necessary that there be factions among you, so that those who are approved may be recognized among you. When you, when, you, when you come together, then, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper, for at the meal each one eats his own supper. So one person is hungry while another gets drunk. Don't you have homes in which to eat and drink, or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? 
What should I say to you? Should I praise you? I do not praise you in this matter. And so, and then he, and then he continues, but I want to stop there for a moment. And if you're continuing to follow along and take notes, the next thing I want you to, to take heart of is communion is our participation in redemption, and we need redemption. See, Paul is writing this section to the church of Corinth because they were abusing the Lord's Supper. To understand what's happening here, we have to remember how the early church had, ran their gatherings. Because it, it, it didn't look exactly like how we have been operating and participating in church worship for many years now. It looked a little bit different. Think back to when we did the series in Acts a couple months ago. And we got into the section that said, and they devoted themselves to the breaking of bread. Because in the heart of their fellowship, in the heart of their gatherings, they would participate in something that was called the love feast, the agape feast. It was a central part of their, of their worship. They would get together, and the church would purchase food, and there would be a, a, a large table. It's why churches, if you've ever wondered, why are churches so obsessed with potlucks? It's because it's a church tradition. It's something we've inherited from the very beginning, that the church devoted themselves to having meals together. This is why if you're inside of our missional groups, it, that part of being a missional group is to come and gather around food and celebration. It, it, it's a part of who we are. So the church, a part of what they did is they came together at the table called the Agape Feast, the Love Feast. And inside of this feast, almost like there was a round of hors d'oeuvres, a pre-salad, a main course, a dessert, in there somewhere was the Lord's Supper. So then there would be a designated space that they would acknowledge what we, now, what we now participate in called communion. And so what's happening here is that there were people who had money and privilege who were able to, every single day of their life, be able to have a full meal, right? They just they didn't know hunger. They were able to provide for their families or for themselves. And then they would come to the church and they would eat their fill. They may even skip their meals prior to coming to church because they're like, yo, I know somebody who makes a mean potato salad, right? They're like, and so they don't eat because they just want to gorge at the agape feast. This is what's happening. But the problem is that in so doing, there are some families who don't have the privilege to be able to have a full meal. In fact, there's people inside of this church who go through their entire week not knowing what a full meal is like. They don't even know what it's like to have their hunger satisfied. And so they look forward to the provision of the agape feast so that they can finally eat a full meal with their brothers and sisters. But because some were so gluttonous and because some whose hearts had turned so selfish were getting their fill, they were not allowing some to eat. Some were getting drunk while some were starving. And so Paul says, I will not encourage you in this for you have missed what it means to come before the Lord's Supper. You see, communion is our participation in redemption, and we need redemption. Communion is seen to be our active participation in the redemptive plan of Jesus' miraculous birth, life, death, resurrection, and ascension. It's an interactive event in which the Christian goes with hope to the elements and, and declares a reliance upon Jesus Christ and believes that God provides. Yet we see the church of Corinth, we're using it for self-gratification instead. 
Communion is our participation in redemption, and we need redemption. It'd be easy for us to look at the church of Corinth and say, wow, how horrible of them. They need forgiveness and redemption, and we could easily miss how alike to them we are. In short, look at the heart. Look at the heart of what was happening to the church of Corinth. They were in the presence of God's constant provision, literally having a meal to provide for them, coming before the elements, knowing and believing that that was God's uh, participation and a worship uh, centered around God's provision and salvation for humanity. So they were in the presence of God's constant provision. He instructed them how to abide and be sustained They began to think internally to self-gratification, and then they saw something that was pleasing to eat and took it for themselves. Does this remind you of any other uh, story in Scripture? It reminds me of Adam and Eve in the garden. Being in the constant presence and provision of the Lord, him outlining a space that said, here's the tree of life, have your fill. And be and walk in my presence, and I will give you everything. But do not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for if you do, you shall surely die. And what do we see Adam and Eve do? Through the temptation of the serpent, through the enemy, to start turning from externally focused on God, the temptation of, he doesn't want you to eat the the tree of the knowledge of fruit of good and evil because, uh, because he doesn't want you to become like him. So all of a sudden, it goes, Adam and Eve go from worshiping externally towards Jesus and look internally to self. What do I want? What do I need? What's going to gratify me? And then it says that Eve looks upon the tree and sees the fruit and says that it is pleasing to the eye. And so they eat and have their fill. This is the temptation for us all as we inherit the sin nature that is from Adam, that we are all, in, we are all fall, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That we battle with self-gratification and an attitude. We are no different then the church of Corinth just displayed differently. This happens to be one area that it showed itself, and Paul is rebuking it. But it points us to the purpose of communion, and that is communion is our participation in redemption, and we need redemption. Let me continue in verse 23 through 26. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread... And when he gave, had given thanks, broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper and said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. If you're continuing to follow and write and take notes, this is your next. Is communion is our participation in redemption. And communion is redemption. Communion is redemption. Like I mentioned prior, communion is our participation in Christ's birth, life, death, and resurrection and ascension. Since the fall, 
In the garden, humanity has rebelled against God, but God, being good, has made a plea and a way constantly throughout history to be reconciled back to himself. We see a pursuitful God to his people throughout history and throughout Scripture. Until in accordance with prophecy, God himself puts on flesh and was born to a virgin. In his life, Jesus lived a perfect, obedient life. Jesus, who is the Christ, began a public ministry to proclaim the reconciling work of the Father. And in so doing, revealing himself as Christ and the only way to an eternal relationship with the Father. And because of this, he was crucified. And on that cross, the innocent man bore the sins of the world that in his death he would put to death sin. And on the third day he rose, making that sacrifice permanent and defeating the curse of separation God and, that God and man called death. Make no mistake, my friends. Communion is our participation in redemption, and communion is redemption. Now, some may say that, Justin, this is ra- that's, a, that's, that's a pretty radical statement. Are you saying that there's something more happening at the table than just bread and juice and our declaration of that happened one time? Well, let's take a look at verses 27 through 32. So then whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sin against the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself in this way. Let him eat the bread and drink the cup. For whoever eats and drinks without recognizing the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. This is why many are sick and ill among you and many have fallen asleep. That means means dead. If we were properly judging ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned with the world. See, communion is our participation in redemption. And how we participate in communion matters. If you're continuing to take notes and follow along, this is the next thing to write down. Communion is our participation in redemption. And how we participate in communion, it matters. Take a look at verse 28 for a moment. Verse 28, when it says, let a person examine himself, this word examine in the Greek is the word dokmazo. Dokmazo. And it means to prove, to scrutinize. More importantly, it means to recognize as genuine after examination, to approve or deem worthy. You see, when we go before the elements, we are to exa- do an ex- a self-examination of our motive, of our hearts, and what we believe is happening at the table. You see, we are to examine our hearts, and there are two goals as someone examines themselves. The first has to do with motivation. What is the motivation behind going to communion? Is it because this is just what church does? Is it because... Well, I've done it since I was a kid, or everybody else is standing up and going, I'll just go. There's an examination of a heart. So your heart posture matters, which means something is happening here. If the state of your heart matters in order to do it in a worthy manner, then that means that there's a posture and attitude that would say there's a right, there's a worthy and an unworthy way. And we see later that it's, that it's tied even with a judgment and a curse. That to do this in an unworthy manner, 
that there's, there's ram- sinful ramifications, not because of God's punishment or judgment, as we read, because that's not what, what it's about. It's because to do this is sinful, and when sin has its way, it distorts what ought to be into something that is deteriorating or decaying or, or, or wrong. And so to do it with an un, in an unworthy manner means that we now reap the, 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 the ramifications of sin. And so people in the community were becoming ill and sick, and some were even dying because of their attitude towards communion and their attitude towards one another. So as one examines themselves, there, there is a worthy way, as we do that, there's two goals for someone's examination. The first is, has to do with motivation. Why am I going to the table? Do I recognize that, uh, that, that plan of redemption and what these elements are in the body and blood of Jesus and what those things mean in the sacrifice? Do I come before knowing that I am a sinner in need of redemption? And as I come before the body and the blood of Jesus, that I can declare the truth that, of what this is and that this is the story in these two elements of the plan and redemption of Jesus in my life and for humanity and the world. The second goal for someone's self-examination is to acknowledge and recognize what is, what's about, what you're about to experience as you come to the table. We see this unfolded in the following verse, in verse 29, where it says, to recognize the body recognizes the Greek word diakrono. Diakrono means to separate or make a distinction. To know, as Jesus said, this is my body. And the question is, when you come to the table, do you recognize Jesus in the elements? Have you made the distinction in your heart, mind, and soul that you are about to receive the body and the blood of Jesus? Because when it says to recognize the body, body is the Greek word soma. And soma is the flesh, the body of men. It is not the body of the believers or to recognize in an unworthy manner that you're not taking care of the body, which is the church. This is soma. This is the body of the Lord. Do you recognize as you take communion the body of the Lord? It's the same word as we read in verse 27. So we're in 29. We read to recognize the body. Jump back up to verse 27. And it's, as it states what communion is, and it is the declaration of the, of the Lord's body. So we know that when we go with examination before and we go to approach the elements in a worthy manner, we're doing so with the right heart and motivation and knowing what we're about to participate in, which is the body and blood of Jesus. Now, inside of this, I need to recognize there's so many people in this, in our congregation, in our community, and I love that we have so many people in different walks in their journey with Jesus. Some have been coming to church their entire life. Some have traveled through different denominations and traditions of Christianity, and they're here in our community now. And some, you're, you're new to the church. Maybe you're just checking things out, or you're giving things a test run to see if a life with Jesus is what you want in your life. We have so many people 
But we need to recognize, and I cannot just simply look over. Some of you want to know, just tell me what communion is and let's do this thing. But there's others of you that wrestle and you bring the history of your life and experience and traditions of other churches and backgrounds in with your decision. And so to be, to, to be a pastor and to say we take the word of God serious, I need to take a moment and pause to acknowledge how church traditions are different as they approach the table. And so for some of you, this might get a little heady and you're like, okay, cool. I'm just going to hit pause on my brain and doodle for a minute. That's fine. But, for, but, but if we're going to take serious the word of God, and if we, are to, to, if we are to, as Ephesians 4 would tell us, to make sure that we are raising saints up, that they would not be confused by doctrine, then we need to take a moment to sit and talk about some, some, some very kind of a few heady things that I think actually change and shape our hearts and our postures. So I want to I take a moment to recognize a couple different Christian, Christian traditions. Inside of the church, we, there's different traditions view what happens in the elements differently. There's four primary views. The first is a, is a view of transubstantiation. So to be clear, we're talking about in the elements, what do you mean when you say that we are recognizing the body and blood of Jesus, that, God, that, that Jesus, the body, of, the body and blood of Jesus are present, that God is here? One view would be transubstantiation, which means uh, trans, which means change, and substantiation, which means the substance, to change the substance. That this teaching is that the substance is completely changed. The inner hidden essence of the thing has changed. It's what Aristotle would have called the essential qualities of the bread and wine. And, and the, 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 so understanding that piece, the, the meaning behind it is that then those who partake in communion literally receive Jesus. This is predominantly held by the Roman Catholic Church, that, there's a, that something has physically and literally changed within the elements. One, one sect within Catholicism would say it physically changes. If you were to take it under a microscope, you would see that it's actual flesh and actual blood. Uh, so another, another wing of Catholicism would say it's just an ontological change, which means it changed, but you can't see it. You wouldn't be able to, you wouldn't be able to know it because it's as if there's a spiritual veil that is over it that you cannot see within humanity. But just because you can't see it doesn't mean that it isn't real and true. So they would say, transubstantiation would say, it literally has changed. And so we take it in faith knowing that God is present fully inside of, these, inside of the substance. The second view would be a, a, a term called consubstantiation. Con meaning together, substantiation meaning substance. This is the idea that the substance of the bread and wine coexists with the body and blood of, of Christ inside of the Eucharist or inside of communion. Jesus Christ is present in, with, and under the bread and the wine whenever the Lord's Supper is celebrated. The analogy people sometimes use is a sponge full of water. The sponge isn't the water, but the water isn't the sponge, but the two are, are there together with one another. So this is the thought that God is fully present inside of the elements, but just and it's because when he says, this is my body and blood, just because it's, it is bread and juice doesn't mean that it's any less actually his body and blood. And so that God is fully present, and it would be the same kind of meaning for the person that partakes in it, that Jesus is fully present and one receives Jesus. And this view is often held by liturgical streams uh, who would either go transubstantiation or consubstantiation. They're more held by liturgical streams and some Protestant churches. 
The third view, which perhaps some of you are more familiar with, would be the memorial view. And that is that we do this because Christ commanded us to. And, and we do it in remembrance of him. And that's all that it is. It's an act of remembrance. The bread and the wine are merely symbols reminding us that Christ's body was broken for us and his blood was shed for us. It's, it's the meaning that Jesus' finishing work on the cross is sufficient and nothing can be added to it. This is widely held by many non-denominational and Baptist traditions. The, the, the fourth is, is something that's called the spiritual presence. The thought that memorial doesn't go far enough. It's not enough that it's just a memory. It is, is certainly symbolic, but the symbols do more than merely represent. They actually bring us to the presence of Jesus Christ and his benefits. That when we go to the table, that, it's, that we are lifted into his holy presence. And this acknowledges a communion with the Lord at the table. And this is often held still by most non, a lot of non-denominational and Baptist churches. So hopefully I didn't lose you there. Uh, maybe you found some of that fascinating or some of it you've known or heard. I say this because it's easy for us as Christians, or honestly, as us as humans, to be very fearful of the things we don't understand. It's often that's where we find conflict with other people. I don't understand you, so I'm going to make pre-notions, and I'm not going to like it because it doesn't fit my worldview, right? And so in the same way, within, within Christian traditions, we would say, I don't understand your view, and that scares me, so you must be a heretic, and I don't even know if you're Christian. So I say this, I want to remove fear for a moment. Uh, the, the, there's, I will not stand here to declare and say that this is the way that you must believe and approach the elements uh, in order for you to, to, to partake in the elements, but what I will say is how you view it matters. How you view it matters because it, it matters on how you, what you experience at the table. And we have to believe that God has an intention and has a purpose behind the experience of communion. And so I challenge you to wrestle. And so if you for a long time are like, well, this is just what I've believed. This has made sense. I've been taught this. I want to challenge you to think further and grow in your understanding of God. Not to understand communion, but to understand God. I want, to, I want to challenge you because as we do that, we then enter into a space of asking, is this then an ordinance or is this a sacrament? Some of you, you know what I mean when I say those things, but it has more to do with the structure of the church uh, and, and how we be, believe and view certain things that are institutional and first importance within the church, like communion, baptism, marriage, and, and so on. But we would ask, is it an ordinance? Is this just something that Christ specifically ordered us to do, and that's why we do it? Or is it something that's sacramental, which means that something, some, some sort of mystery is taking place between the divine and, and the undivine within humanity, with the created? Is something happening there? And for Story City Church, we look at communion as something that's a sacrament. We enter into sacrament, literally meaning mystery. We enter into the mystery. And I know us Westerners, we don't like mystery. We're like, explain it to me. Make it a system. Let me know and let me follow. But there's a mystery. So here's, but here's what is commanded in Scripture. Examine yourself in view of how you approach the elements. No matter what, you are becoming before the throne. And it's okay to disagree, but I encourage you to wrestle. Do not take light coming to the table. Communion is our participation in, re in redemption. Recently, we, uh, some of us went on a trip to Israel, and it was incredible standing in the places where you're like, dude, 
God stood here. <laughs> Jesus stood here. But one thing that's like you enter into a wrestling while you're there is like as, as your guides are going and it's history and it's spiritual, they would go, well, we think it happened here, but we're not sure. And you're like, this is where God stood. Wait, what? <laughs> you're just like, how, how, do I, how do I live inside of that tension? And so it would be sight to sight. And there'd be times and you're just praying for the moments that someone would say, no, we know for a fact Jesus sat here. He did this thing here. And you're like, Whoa, that's, that's amazing. And so you just, you'd constantly be living in that tension. Uh, and then, and then we went to the garden tomb, uh, one of the locations that we think, uh, Jesus was, was buried and you're sitting there and at this place, we, we celebrate by receiving communion. And it was in that moment that I realized in humanity, we look for those markers, the markers that are the divine coming into something physical that we can touch and see and tangible, and I can feel the closeness of God. And for so many, we go on trips like to the Holy Land because we want to experience that. We want that window to close. We want to feel closer than we are. It was in receiving communion and looking at the elements of communion, not because we were in a holy land, but because when I looked at the elements and as we're partaking, I said to myself, I don't need to travel across the world to experience something deeper than ever before because we are promised that the presence of God is in these elements and in some mysterious way, we get to participate in that. We get to participate. God is never more real then we and we get to participate in the elements. Typically when we at Story City receive communion, we sing the song, We Believe. It's to help us with the examination and the profession of faith. And I'm changing that up a little bit this morning because I want to help us experience communion. Leaning up to our, leaning up to our communion song, you'll see uh, two aids on the screen. The first is going to be something that's called the prayer of confession. This is a prayer that many Christians for, for year, hundreds of years have been reciting before they, come before, um, before they come before communion, before the elements. This isn't magic words. In fact, written prayers often that get recited, I just say it's just worship songs but without the music. You'd sing a worship song and you would mean it for your heart and it's a guide. It's the same way with this prayer. It's not a magic words. It doesn't do anything, but it does help transform and put our heart in the right posture. And so we're going to take a moment. I'm going to allow that to be there. And then after, let's say, like 30 seconds, we're going to switch to the next slide, which would be the Apostles' Creed which is what then you'd profess to say, this is what it means to be a Christian. I profess that. I know, I know why I'm going before the table. It's literally just the song we believe, <laughs> but that's where they got their lyrics from. It's from the Apostles' Creed. So we're going to sit and I'm going to allow you to examine and meditate in that space. Does that make sense? So before, before worship comes up and is going to lead us in their song as we come before the elements, just give a moment of examination. And after that, feel free to come up, grab your elements, come back to your chairs. You can continue examination. There's going to be an entire song of just processing and everything, and then we can stand and we'll close out with a, with a final worship song together. So worship team, you guys can come up, and you guys can get ready and prep to, to lead us. But in that time, as they're getting set, let all of us participate by self-examination as we come before the elements.